If, uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to the text we're going to be looking at today, please turn to Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18. And this morning we're going to be continuing in our, our study, of course, in the parables of Jesus, our summer study. Uh, we're getting close to the fall, and so uh, I'll be wrapping up um, the sermon series in a few weeks now, and then we'll, we'll jump into a series in the beginning of the fall on discipleship, just to give you a little heads up on where we're headed. But this morning, as we continue in the, in the parables, uh, we're going to look at um, a parable that probably is familiar to many, if not m- most of you who are here today, called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And that comes from Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, and I'll read down through verse 14. Please join with me. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breasts saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And this is God's word. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching and the hearing of his word. So in just reading the text, this is a cursory surface reading of the text, I think one of the things you could probably say about this text is that it's in some ways a parable about prayer. And that certainly would, would fit when you look at this particular parable in its larger context and the immediately preceding parable which is the one that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, which is the parable of the persistent widow. And in verse 1 of chapter 18, which is sort of leading into the text we're looking at today, Jesus, in setting up that parable, he said, and he told, uh, the scripture in setting up that parable says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And so the parable of the persistent widow is, is about that. I mean, as you go on, you see that Jesus is teaching us some very important things about being persistent in prayer, enduring in prayer, not giving up, not losing heart, having faith in the Lord, that he hears and answers our prayer. And when we turn our focus of attention to the parable today, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, it, it is a parable that talks about people praying. In fact, if you notice in verse 10 again, it says two men went up into the temple to pray. And then when you look at the vast majority of this parable and the things that Jesus is talking about over and over again, he's showing these two men at prayer. But the thing that's interesting about this parable is this, that when Jesus wraps up the parable, he doesn't wrap it up by saying, and one of the men, when he went home, God had answered his prayer. That's not the way it ends. The way it ends is this way in the first part of chapter 14, verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, justified, okay? 
Now, the reason that's important is because even though Jesus in this parable talks a lot about praying, what he's using praying to do is to be the setting, if you will, for us to think about justification and what that is. And so what are we talking about when we talk about justification? Well, just to give you a a very simple definition of it, justification is being declared righteous or justified by God. And a lot of times we talk about it being in the courtrooms of heaven, being declared righteous before the law of God. But the thing about justification that is so important is that it's not contingent or based upon anything in us or anything we do but solely based upon the righteousness of Christ alone that is accounted to us, that is received by us through faith. You know, earlier in the service this morning, we, we confess and we, do, we use confessions of faith a lot because part of what we are doing in worship is formation. It's forming us. It's helping us to understand what is true and what is not. And that's an important thing for us. And so we confess our mutual faith together. Today we use the, the Westminster Standards, which is a part of our confession uh, of faith as, our, as a congregation. And the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 33, asks the question, what is justification? But let me just remind you of the answer to that. And all of us who are here today, we confess this answer. That justification is an act of God's free grace in which he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. If you're at all familiar with the Protestant Reformation, one of the things you remember in the Protestant Reformation are these solas. Solas are alones. And in order for us to fully understand justification and what it means and the implications of justification, we got to get the alones in it, right? And what this definition in the Shorter Catechism is helping us to understand is this, that when we talk about justification, we are talking about God's grace alone and Christ's merit alone, received by faith alone. Now, what Jesus is doing in this parable is he's helping us to understand that by giving this example of these two men that go up to the temple to pray. Now, what Jesus is doing here in this parable, though, is he's, he's offering to us, on the, on the one hand, a caution. And we need to see that caution. All of us do. And then on the other hand, he gives us guidance. Okay? And so the way that I'm going to talk about this is in these two ways. I'm going to, first of all, talk about this, this whole idea of, of being cautioned or warned. And so we're going to begin by talking about a warning against any, any attempts, any attempts, at self-justification. And I want all of us to hear this well. But then what Jesus does is he goes on and he gives us the, not a, the way, the way to obtain God's justification. It's not a multitude of ways, it's one way, okay? And we need to hear that. And so this morning we begin with a warning. This is the first part of the parable, a warning against self-justification which is a thing that I think we all have to understand. And when I say that to you, what, I'm, what I want to make sure you understand is that this isn't just a sermon for you to hear this sermon so that in hearing this sermon, you will be able to better tell people outside of the church about justification, meaning about how to get saved. That's important. And I hope that this sermon helps you to do that better so that as you are able to communicate the gospel, you are able to communicate the gospel clearly and rightly. But at the same time, 
I also want us to hear this as those who profess the name of Jesus. And the reason for that is because even those within the church can fall into these exact same problems that Jesus is talking about here. Self-righteousness, self-justification, self-salvation. And all of us can be guilty of this. And in order to get at it, I'm going to ask you a question. And many of you are familiar with the question. It's a question that comes from Evangelism Explosion, or EE for short. An evangelism explosion is a evangelism program that was developed out of a sister congregation of ours, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale. And one of the reasons why, why EVE is, is so effective as an evangelism program it's across the world is because what it did is it developed these two, what, are, what can be called diagnostic questions. And the diagnostic questions were for the purpose of us uh, being able to say them to someone and, and listening and hearing whether a person is getting the gospel or not. The diagnostic questions sort of diagnose the heart, right? And the second of these EE questions is the one that you see on the screen in front of you, which is this question. Suppose you were to die tonight and stand before God and God asks, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? If you were to stand before God and God were to say, why should I let you in? What's your answer? Okay, I am asking you that question this morning for real. Now don't throw up your hand, don't shout out the answer. Just think about it. If you were standing before God and he said, why, why should I let you in? Okay, just take a second. All right, so if anyone here answered that question in a similar way to the things I'm about to say, I want to say something to you. If you answer that question by saying, because I really am trying, or I really am, I'm, I'm pretty good. When, when, I, when you look at the mess of people around me, I'm, I'm really pretty good, right? I treat people with respect and love and dignity, even on social media, right? I do these things. I give away money to good causes. I vote the right way. Now let me press it in. I come to church more than most. I'm a member of the church. I serve in the church. I give money to the church. Most of those things I mentioned, they're, they're good things or fine things, right? But if any of you in your thinking, as you're sitting there today, and I imagine there are some, or some are on live stream, if you answer the question in that way, you're way off base, according to scripture. You're wrong, according to scripture. But hang on, please listen to this sermon. Because there's some good news in this sermon, and I promise you, it is better news than being on the hamster wheel of self-salvation. We're just going, 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 faster, 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 thinking the faster you go, you gotta to get to heaven eventually. But no, you're not. No, you're not. Now, there are two types of people that can hear this sermon. I mean, there's those who are, who are legitimately outside of. 
Meaning they, they have not in any way sort of come to an understanding of Christ. And one of the things that I think all of us would understand if you've done any evangelism with anybody is that everybody in the world is sort of built in this sort of merit-based thing, right? I mean, we're all shaped that way. So if you have not in any way heard the gospel, you're going to immediately respond to what I just asked. Why should I let you into heaven? And you're going to say something like I just told you. I'm pretty good. I try hard because you think that is the way. But here's the thing you need to keep in mind in relationship to what Jesus is doing in these parables. It's not just that Jesus is standing up and he's preaching like in an evangelistic setting just to people that are outside of, he's talking to the covenant community of God. He's talking to Israel. He's talking to God's people. And so when Jesus therefore gives us these warnings, we need to hear them. We need to hear them, okay? And not just use them for others. And in order to get there and to see what he's doing, what you have to do is something that's not easy. And that is, in terms of interpreting this parable, to try your best to put yourself in the shoes of those who were first hearing this parable. Now, why do I say that to you? The reason is because for most of us, we immediately go Pharisee, bad guy, right? I mean, we all do. And there's a reason we all do that. It's because we've read this parable before, because we've heard people preach this parable before, because we have seen like all the interactions that Jesus had with the Pharisees and how negative they were towards him, how they tried to test him and tempt him and get him in trouble and were the ones that ultimately colluded with the other religious leaders and the Romans to put him on the cross. And we know all of that. So that a lot of times when we read this, we will go this, Pharisee, and then if you put an equal, equal sign there, Pharisee equals on the other side of it, what, what is it? hypocrisy. Pharisee equals hypocrite. And so every time we read the New Testament, when we think of the Pharisees, our mind first goes there. And there's a right sense for that. But the problem is we miss how those who were originally hearing this parable, how they would have processed it. Because if they thought Pharisee they're not equal sign hypocrite. They're equal sign holiest person I ever seen in my whole life. The Pharisees were the epitome of Jewish religion. They were it. They were the model. They were the ones that people should follow. That's who they are. This is why there's, there's a Presbyterian scholar that I was looking at in relationship to this parable, and he renamed the parable this way. He renamed it the Presbyterian and the tax collector. <laughs> he said, it'll fit any denomination, and I'm certainly will, but this will kind of give you a sense of it. The Presbyterian minister and the tax collector. The Presbyterian elder and the tax collector. The Presbyterian deacon and the tax collector. The Presbyterian church member and the tax collector. He's talking to us, okay? He's talking to us and we need to hear it. We need to hear it. 
We need to hear the warnings against self-righteousness, self-justification, self-salvation. We need to hear how deceptive this can be. And it can. Now, what Jesus does in this parable, which I think is, is beautiful, is that he, he lays out for us some of the sort of indications or the, the symptoms, if you will. These are the symptoms of the disease. And, and he does this so that we can begin to kind of look at these things. And even as those who profess faith, we can look at the symptoms of the disease and we can go, okay, if I fall into the disease, if I fall into this pattern, if this is going on in my life, run from this in repentance to the Lord, right? And there are two things that Jesus gets at. And all of us along the way in our journeys have done this. I know this. I have done this. I know this. I struggle with this at times. And here's what it is. There are two things. Number one is spending your life comparing yourself to others. And number two is spending your time congratulating yourself over all the things that you are good at and better than others, right? Both of those things. Looking down on others. I'm better than this sort of sanctified hand patting yourself on the back. Right? Look at me. Ain't I something? Right? You know, when I was in college, I, was, uh, I went to a Christian liberal arts school. And uh, that's where I met my wife, King University in Tennessee. And, and I was a Bible major at this Christian liberal arts school. And Everybody there, anybody was in the Bible department, everybody pejoratively, this was a nice thing they were saying, they pejoratively called us the God Squad. But all of us in the Bible department, we own that. It's like, I'm part of the God Squad. Which means I'm better than all the rest of you folks around this Christian college. I'm that, right? How easy is it to fall into that? But notice what Jesus does. I mean, the way he even sets the parable up, he's getting at it. It says verse 9 again, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They looked to themselves. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And then nobody says happens. And this is, this is almost immediate. And it's going to be one of the indicators that this is what you're doing. They treated others with contempt. Do you see that? When, when this is your focus, when you're, you're trusting in yourself, in your own righteousness, when this is about something in you, then you are going to look down on someone else. And there's an obvious reason for that. It's because you really can't stand before the purity of God's law and perfection. You can't. And so that if you are thinking that you can do this, that you can make this happen yourself, then you, the only thing you're going to stand on is somebody else around you. And so all those ways that we look down on, that we think less of, that we think we're better than, and we do it time and time again, you think you're better than someone else because you think you have done something. You think you are in and of yourself something. Right? And then when Jesus goes on and he sets up the parable, notice what he says in verse 10 and 11. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and, and the other tax collector. And we're going to talk about the tax collector in a moment. But then he, he focuses in on the Pharisee. And he says, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed. Which is, with both of these men, you'll see this in a moment when I read the text again related to the tax collector. They're posturing and positioning. It matters to this, this parable. So here's a man, the Pharisee, he stands by himself. But the reason he stands by himself isn't the same as the, the tax collector who stands in the back of the room, right? 
This man in the court of Israel, he stands alone. Why? It's a very simple reason. Because he literally thinks he's above everybody else. That's the point Jesus is making. He's standing alone. Because nobody in the room, it doesn't even matter whether there are other Pharisees in the room. Nobody in the room equals this man. And so he can stand alone by himself. And the text goes on to say, and he prays thus, God, I thank you, right? And, and many have looked at that and gone, okay, he says, God, I thank you. Then he's at least thankful to God for this. But is he really? Is he really? You know, sometimes we will use this expression. And I'm not saying this expression is bad to use. It's just, what are you saying? Here's the expression. Except for the grace of God, there go I. Is that a good expression? Well, if you're really talking about grace, as opposed to just sort of covering it with religious ease and basically saying, I'm better than them. What's so interesting about this, and I want you to hear this. You'll see it as a little note in the bottom of your text. Some translate this actually this way. This man was standing and he prayed to himself. It makes you wonder if that's what he's doing. Is he really talking to God here? Then note how often he says, I, I, I. I mean, this is part of it. What is he going to do? This is the comparison part, right? This is the part where if you're doing this in your life, then you've got to start asking yourself, what's going on in me? Am I really seeing myself for who I am? And I'm really seeing Christ for who he is. I am not like other men. What he's basically saying is, God, I thank you because I'm better than other men extortioners, better than them, unjust, better than them, adulterers, better than them, this tax collector right there, I'm really better than him, right? Over and over and over again, he looks down on others to exalt himself. And then that, that, there's a turn, because if you look at the text carefully, what you, what you see with the, in the parable with the, with the Pharisee is that not only is he looking comparatively to others and lifting himself up, then when he turns the attention to himself, note what he then goes on to say in verse 12. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now, first of all, let me just simply say this. It is a weird thing. For you to stand before God and pray to God and tell him all the great things you are doing for him. I'm telling you, if you do that, you are probably on the wrong path. But note what this guy is doing. Because the law doesn't say you have to fast twice a week. Nor does the law say you have to give tithes on everything because there's some things that are already tithed on. You know what this man is actually saying to God? He's saying, God, not only am I better than everybody else, I am actually holier than your own law. I do more than even you require of me. That is this man. And Jesus is holding him up, no matter what, the crowd all around them thinking, this guy got, if there's somebody, anybody who is going to be accepted by God, it is this man. And Jesus holds him up as the example of self-justification, self-righteousness, self-salvation, and no hope. 
But then he gives them as this warning to us to then turn, and this is the second thing that we see here, the way, which is the way of, of obtaining God's justification, which is the way of obtaining genuine justification. And he turns then his attention to the tax collector. So on the one hand, if you look at the Pharisee and they're like here, I mean, the tax collector is under the stage. I mean, you could not get worse than this than tax collector. They were the scum of the earth. This is how they were considered. Why? Well, because on the one hand, they colluded with and collaborated with the, the Romans who were the, the tyrannical oppressor of Israel. They did that. And then in addition to their collusion, they also were crooks. So they would not only take what they were supposed to take for the Romans, they became wealthy and rich oftentimes because they took more than was required in order to feed their own pockets. So they became wealthy off of the backs of their own people. Tax collectors were so despised in Israel. I was surprised when I saw this in my studies. They could not even give testimony in a Jewish court. That's how despised they were. And yet, look at what Jesus says. This is verse 13. Now, when, he, when he's telling this parable, again, put yourself in the shoes of all of those around. The people hearing this, the Pharisees hearing this, okay? And I imagine, as I sort of visualize this in my own head, there was a gasp, and it was audible. It was almost like when he gets into this further, it, they were like, huh. And the Pharisees, you know those, those red face anger emojis with the cuss words on them? That's what they were starting to look like. I mean, they were just, right? Because here's, he, here's what he says. But the tax collector, standing far off. Now, remember the positioning of the two men. Now, both of these guys are alone. But one is alone, Pharisee, because he's thinking nobody else is worthy of me. The tax collector alone, the back of the court of Israel, because he's recognizing I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of anything, of anything. And then he goes on to say, standing far off, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. He couldn't look up. He couldn't look up. He beat his breast. All these are indications of contrition. To go even further, of despair and utter absolute desperation. There's, there's nothing redeemable in this man, and he, and he knows it. And this is why he, he says these words. And, and this, is, this is sometimes, I don't know if you've ever seen the Jesus prayer. This is what the Jesus prayer is based upon. It's just using the word Jesus instead of the word God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, that's, that's, it's so incredibly short. But just think about what's being said here. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Think about the power of these words. He looks outside of himself. He doesn't, he doesn't look to others to make himself feel better. He doesn't look to himself 
to pat himself on the back. There is nothing he can do. There is nothing he can bring. There's nothing he can offer. He is irredeemable in his own eyes. And he looks outside of himself. He looks to God. And at the end of it, he calls himself a sinner. In the Greek, there's actually a definite, definite article there. So it's the sinner. Know what he's doing. He calls himself not just a sinner, not just a sinner among sinners. I am the sinner before you. Paul did that, did he not? Foremost of sinners. I am the sinner. And so out of this place of utter absolute desperation where he had no hope, he had nothing to bring, he cries outside of himself to God and he says, be merciful. And that's a little bit too weak because the translation and the reason for that is because the word that's behind be merciful is actually the word for propitiation, which is this glorious word about the atonement and the appeasement of wrath. In other words, this sinner understands something, that God in his holiness and righteousness, all of that could justifiably be poured out on this man. And he knows it. And there's no hiding, there's no excusing, there's no justifying, there's no I'm better than someone else. He stands before God guilty. And he cries out, God, would you please, I plead, take the wrath that I deserve from me. Which is exactly the wonder of the gospel. If you just think about it for a moment, because the very one speaking this parable would soon tow to that cross and on that once and for all sacrifice, take what? I mean, this is the story of the gospel. It is you and I, every last one of us, every last person on planet earth. What do we deserve? We deserve hell. We deserve judgment. We deserve God's wrath. And I don't care who you are. It doesn't matter how much you are accepted and loved or appreciated in the world. It doesn't matter. You are this man. And then the stunner. Because in verse 14, this is, oh Lord, I mean, I hope you can picture this with me. Oh my goodness, can you imagine? Of all the parables and all the ways they would have stirred folks up, this one, I tell you, this man's the tax collector, the most hated kind of person on the planet. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Why? Why? Because the only thing this man saw in himself was his sin and need. And the only thing he knew to do was to cry out for help. And this is why Jesus ends the parable. This is, it's almost axiomatic in the Bible. This is one of the things that's so interesting about what the scriptures do over and over and over again. It's like, it's like just, it's, it's this sense of, it's almost just there as a truth. It's self-evident truth, right? This is not the world, but it is the kingdom. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. 
That's what the self-righteous do. That's what the self-justifying do. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I was reminded in this sermon, I'm wrap up just a second, of the Rock of Ages. We didn't do that song a couple of weeks ago. We'd have probably done it today. Um, but that great line is Augustus, uh, top lady, has a great line. You know what it is. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. There is no justification outside of the righteousness and forgiveness of Jesus. That's it. So now we come back to that question. You were to die tonight and you were to stand before a holy God. And this God were to ask you the simple question, why should I let you into my heaven? I promise you, God will not tolerate any of our nonsense. There is one answer only. Because I've seen my sin. I am the sinner, the sinner. And I've turned to your son, Jesus, and his righteousness and his death. And I have put my faith in him. I cling to Jesus alone. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and we thank you for the salvation. We see it as this beautiful, wondrous gift, Lord, to us. And we thank you because in, our, in our, our deepest, most miserable sin, Lord, you can rescue us. And in our, our most profound and ugly self-righteousness, you can rescue us. And so, Lord, whatever is going on in our lives, we turn from those things to Jesus. And today, Lord, any of us who are struggling with this, we can turn again to Jesus. And for those who have never known and put their faith in Jesus, today, Lord, we can turn to you. It's, it's not about us making ourselves better, cleaning ourselves up, anything like that, Lord. It's about turning to Jesus. And you do beautiful things in our hearts and lives. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for a righteousness that we could never earn or deserve. And all of that is because you sent your beloved son into this world for our salvation. Bless us today to believe the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we join our voices in singing the solid rock.